Move Forward Radio is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at MoveForwardPT.com. You're listening to Move Forward Radio, a podcast featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts with advice on how you can move forward. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Eric Rees. As it turns out, there's nothing virtual about explorations of the ways in which virtual reality, or VR, can be used as an adjunct to traditional physical therapy to address pain and to be used in a variety of other ways. Many physical therapists are looking into VR, some are already using it with patients, and the future looks bright for VR's expansion as an intriguing tool within the physical therapist's toolbox for helping appropriate patients achieve optimal results. That's the upshot from this episode's guest, Sujay Galen. The academic chair of the Department of Physical Therapy at Georgia State University, he holds a pair of advanced degrees in bioengineering and is a researcher in areas such as robotic assistive technologies and wearable technologies. Donning both his movement science and his bioengineering hats, he's going to take us on a tour of the current research, VR's real-world applications in today's physical therapy clinics, and the technology's promise for tomorrow. So strap on your headset. Here's our conversation. Before we get started with today's discussion about virtual reality as, as a tool in physical therapy, let's talk a little bit about your background and the roots of your interest in the subject. It, it seems fair to say that your education and training is a bit different from that of many physical therapists in that you have a couple of advanced degrees in bioengineering, and you've also worked in India and in the U.K. in addition to the, to the United States. First of all, I wanted to ask you, in, in what ways has all of that background shaped your career to date and, and your research interest in things like uh, robotic-assistive technology to improve mobility and function and wearable technologies to assist older adults and amputees of all ages. Thank you, Eric, very much for that question. And uh, first of all, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk about virtual reality today with you. Um, yes, I've had a somewhat slightly different uh, career trajectory, for lack of a better term, in where I got to where I am today uh, with all these advanced degrees in biomedical engineering. But when I started off as a physiotherapist almost 24 years ago in India, it became apparent to me very quickly that as physiotherapists, we have to very much intimately understand the uh, the way people move, how we go about interacting with everyday life and things that happen around us. And more importantly, I also found very quickly as an early uh, uh, career person that there was a lot of new technologies that were coming out. Um, and in the late 90s and early 2000s, computers were getting more inexpensive. And to me, it was very attractive in the sense that if we can bring some of this technology into the clinic to help our patients move better, I thought that might be a great application of technology in physiotherapy. So that's what really took me into biomedical engineering. And true to that, my PhD was actually working with children with cerebral palsy where we were using a technique called functional electrical stimulation, which is now widely used in the clinic, where we apply electrical uh, impulses to muscles in order to engage them to move so that the person learns how to move. So the entire motivation for me to go into technology is to use technology to help people to move better and at the same time harness the capability of technology to help our patients understand how they move better. 
We here at Move Forward Radio were intrigued by a, a personal health column that was published in the New York Times recently, uh, written by a, a well-known columnist named Jane Brody. The headline of that piece was Virtual Reality as Therapy for Pain. And the summarizing descriptor immediately beneath the headline read, it, meaning virtual reality, is more than a distraction, researchers say. It's more like a brain hack that occupies the brain so fully that it has no room to process pain sensations at the same time. So in that piece, Jane Brody listed physical therapy among the quote-unquote established techniques for treating chronic pain that can be enhanced in effectiveness by using virtual reality or, or let's just call it VR from, from here on in. Uh, before we get into all that, let's step back a bit. When we talk about VR, uh, Sujay, what sorts of devices and technology sort of fall under that rubric? Is it, is it mostly kind of the, the typical headset type situation that one might envision? The first thing that comes to anybody's mind when we think about virtual reality is somebody wearing a headset because we have seen it in the movies or we have uh, seen uh, already in uh, like television and media being promoted that way. But a very simplistic definition is where we can think of being transported to a world that is different to the one that we are currently in. In other words, we are taken away from reality. That's why we use the word virtual reality. So that's the first thing to remember. So we are for when we are in that virtual environment, we are not um, uh, exposed to the world around us. That's immediately around us. So if you're in a room or if you're in a home or if you're in a clinic, for a moment you're not there. You're in a different world. So that's the first thing to remember. The second thing is how much of immersion does a person have? By immersion I mean do they now, when they look around, all 360 degrees around them is a different world, or is it just a screen in front of them? So if it is a 360-degree experience, everything around them is different, then what you probably need is a headset, because you then are wearing a headset, and through that headset, you are able to view this new world that's around you. So that's what we call an immersive uh, three-dimensional display. But there's also virtual reality where individuals can use a computer screen where the virtual display is actually provided on that computer screen or, for that matter, a television. So, for example, if you take a gaming platforms like Xbox or Kinect or Nintendo, whatever we all regularly use in our day-to-day -day lives, there the individual is in front of the screen and the movement is interpreted by a software that captures that movement and then translates it into a movement of an avatar that we see on the screen and the avatar moves and therefore we are able to interact in that virtual environment with the object or whatever the theme of the game may be. So virtual reality for the most part is that headset but also could be a computer screen. That's the short answer to that. Per the headline of that New York Times column that I mentioned earlier, there's growing recognition that the usefulness of VR, specifically, uh, that VR is specifically useful in addressing pain issues. Um, there's been a big shift in thought about pain in recent years with developments in pain science uh, re-examining the definition and causes of pain and, and therefore the best ways of addressing it. Can you speak to that and tie it into the whole subject of VR and, and where it comes in in terms of physical therapy? Sure. So the first thing is we have to understand what do we mean by pain. So a very simple definition is to say pain has both a sensory or sensation component, so we feel the pain, but it's also an experience, so it's an emotional uh, component to it. So uh, in very simple terms, it's both sensation and an emotional response to that sensation. So when we experience pain, not only do we feel the pain, but it also influences how we respond, how we interact, and how we behave. So it's a behavioral aspect to it. 
So where virtual reality ties to all of this is it started off something like a distraction. So something to distract somebody away from a painful stimuli. Say, for example, there's a needle procedure being done or in burns patients where they wanted to move the extremities or move the individual and the person experiences the pain. The virtual reality was used in, as a form of a distraction. So that's one way it was started to be applied. Uh, but also, very quickly, it became apparent that not only can you distract the individual, but you can also change how they experience that movement. To so give you a good example, let's say somebody is in a virtual environment. Now we can present to that individual their own limb, for example, as if it looks healthy. And we can do little tweaks in the software, whereby when the individual moves their own arm, we can detect it using sensors or using uh, technology like Kinect. And when they move their, their own arm or their own lower extremity or their legs, that movement can then be amplified or made bigger. So the person now sees in the virtual environment that they're moving more than what they may be physically actually moving. So this helps the brain to kind of interpret the movement somewhat differently. And if, let's say, there's underlying pain in there and the person is kind of hesitant to move because of the pain, now even a small movement can be changed or amplified to make look like a bigger movement. And so the person can overcome, if you like, that hesitancy to move. And what uh, science and the neuroscience behind pain also tells us is that with movement, the brain changes how we perceive pain. So it's almost like, to me, a two-way sort of a system. So when we have pain, we automatically, as a protective mechanism, but also as a mechanism that we are worried about, the pain causes us to move less. However, when we start moving more, the pain experience starts to come down. So as physical therapists, we are always interested, how can we get our patients to move? How can we improve the movement pattern? So therefore, what VR provides to us is, a, I believe, an opportunity for us to present that movement in a slightly different context where that person or that patient can experience the movement differently, and therefore they can address that pain in that manner. Um, the other thing also that increasingly we are uh, seeing with uh, virtual reality is that not only can we change the movement pattern, but also we can present it in different forms. So to give you a good example, let's say this is now an interactive virtual environment where there are objects in that environment the person has to manipulate or the person has to move and touch. Now that engages the person, and we know for learning new movement patterns, or for that matter, re-educating movement patterns, we need to have engagement. So virtual reality provides that engagement for that individual to get interested in it. And the more they get interested, hopefully they'll move more, and then they can translate that movement to their real day-to-day uh, -day life and to the real world. So that's how virtual reality and pain, in my opinion, tie with each other. A quick break to tell you about Choose PT, the American Physical Therapy Association's national public awareness campaign. America is currently in the grips of an opioid epidemic. In some situations, dosed appropriately, prescription opioids are an appropriate part of medical treatment. But opioids only mask the sensation of pain, and opioid risks include depression, overdose, addiction, and withdrawal. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is urging healthcare providers to reduce the use of opioids in favor of safer alternatives like physical therapy for treating pain. Learn how a physical therapist can help you at moveforwardpt.com slash choosept. And now, back to this episode of Move Forward Radio. 
Well, talking about the, the opportunities that, that VR uh, poses, it, it, it's interesting that uh, that New York Times piece uh, quoted both a patient with chronic pain from a motorcycle accident who sang the praises of, of VR, but also a PT who cautioned, uh, saying uh, VR is not a cure. It's an adjunct to other methods that we know work. So encompassing those statements are both the promise and the strictures of VR in pain management. So I wanted to ask you, Sujay, what are some of the conditions for which VR currently is being used as an adjunct by some PTs, and can you sort of paint a picture of what that might look like, how and at what point during treatment VR is being used to complement uh, traditional physical therapy? Thank you. Uh, at the moment, as far as the evidence is concerned in terms of peer-reviewed publications that are coming out, virtual reality is mostly being used in individuals who have ankylosing spondylitis, which is a condition where movement of your uh, uh, your spine, for example, is limited uh, and there's pain as a, a, in, in addition to it. Uh, and therefore, virtual reality is, again, used to promote movement in these individuals. Um, and also it's used in, as I said, uh, patients with burns um, and also patients undergoing painful procedures, if you like. So that's where most of the evidence right now is being uh, published. However, I think there's a lot more opportunities beyond that, uh, and certainly uh, any kind of uh, pain that restricts movement, potentially virtual reality could be used. And in that article that you cite, the New York Times, I did read that, and the physical therapist there has a very valid point. This is not a cure. This is an adjunct to what we do in physical therapy. As I said, we as physical therapists are movement scientists, and we like to enable our patients to move better. So what we're using VR is an adjunct, something that will help us engage our patients better to understand how that movement happens so that they can perform that movement in their day-to-day -day lives. So in a way, virtual reality in itself is not the treatment. It's more a context to that treatment. So we can provide some kind of a uh, environment where the individual feels that they can engage with, that they can understand better. So that, that's what VR offers an opportunity for physical therapists, if you like. Can you see VR being potentially helpful uh, for things other than uh, strictly pain issues in patients? Absolutely. And in fact, there's more evidence, uh, I would say, in terms of use of virtual reality for improving just any kind of movement. Um, so in my own lab, we are just about starting a project with the individuals with Parkinson's uh, disease where we are using or we are hoping to use virtual reality to help them to move with larger amplitude movement, by which I mean bigger movement patterns. So individuals with Parkinson's have a problem making larger movements. So when you're asking them to move, they make very small movements, and that is not helpful for their activities of daily living, but also engaging with day-to-day uh, -day life. So one of the things we want to increase is how big they move, and therefore we can use virtual reality to provide cues or virtual objects for them to interact with, whereby even a small movement can amplify to a bigger movement, but more importantly, that feedback will help them to understand that they've got to move even more than they are normally moving. So for those sort of scenarios, I think virtual reality offers a fantastic opportunity because now the individual, as I said earlier, can engage 
one-on-one with that particular movement and get some kind of an immediate feedback on how they're moving, which sometimes is difficult to provide, I would uh, claim, in a very busy clinic environment, or for that matter, if this individual has to be doing this at home and they happen to have one of these devices, it makes it much more easier for them to interact and to perform their exercises. So it has a wide range of application, in my opinion, but the science is still very young. We still have to provide more evidence to support it. Well, it's interesting you should mention the, the, the person using uh, using VR uh, possibly at home, but sort of segueing to that, I, I, I want to go back to that description in the New York Times of VR as a quote-unquote brain hack. So a patient is only going to have that VR set on or be engaged with their computer or what have you uh, for a certain period of time. Uh, so I want to ask you, what makes VR's effects longer lasting, and what's the PT's role in helping to ensure that? Thank you. And uh, there we have to be a little cautious in interpreting the, um, the science or the evidence that's out there because for the most part the studies that have done a virtual reality in pain have done it for a period of 10 to 15 minutes, maybe up to 45 minutes, uh, 30 to 45 minutes in a day, maybe three to five times a week. So that's the sort of exposure somebody has had to virtual reality and they don't get engaged at a home environment for the most part or for that matter for a longer duration of time. However, even in that short exposure that they have to virtual reality, the individual is um, you know, engaging in movement patterns that, to some extent, allows them to do, the, do it, which may, they may not be able to do without the virtual reality or if they were to be look, uh, you know, focusing on their pain. And the word hack, quote-unquote, in that article, uh, again, I have to be a little careful how we describe it. And to understand that, we have to understand that pain perception or how we experience pain happens in many different ways. Uh, the information that we experience, let's say there's some tissue damage and as a result there's a pain, that information is carried to the brain using several different pathways. There are certain pathways that go to a part of the brain that also perceives sensations such as touch and movement and so on and so forth. Uh, so that is where most of the, what we call fast pain, what happens immediately after we sustain energy, that's where we perceive that. But when pain stays for a period of time, that what we call slow pain, that gets transmitted not just to areas that we perceive that sensation, but it also gets transmitted to other areas of the brain that are uh, in, uh, that are to do with our emotion, with our motivation, arousal, and so on and so forth. So imagine somebody having pain for several days, and that experience affects their motivation, affects their arousal. So when they talk about the hack, what we're really saying there, I believe, is when we expose individuals to virtual reality and we're trying to change that experience of pain and we're improving their movement, hopefully that will decrease, if you like, uh, or that's where most of the uh, sort of uh, published literature provides some evidence that there's some decrease in the experience of pain promoting movement. So... What I see happening in most of these studies, I think, should be we have to quantify how much of virtual reality is being used and see how that level of engagement with virtual reality, how that translates to day-to-day life. That part is still missing. That part is still not well understood, and that's where I think we should be focusing our efforts on. Well, that, and that's an excellent segue to my next question, which was going to be just asking you, and, and you've kind of alluded to this along the way, but can you just kind of look to the future and, and say where you see uh, the use of VR going and if there are particular areas of study that you deem to be the most uh, uh, interesting and promising? 
Absolutely. Like I mentioned earlier, virtual reality is still very much in its early stages. Um, cost was a uh, concern, but there are now devices such as Google VR where you can even use a smartphone to actually provide a virtual environment for an individual. So cost may be coming down in the future, so that opens up a lot of possibility for uh, f a physical therapists to use it in a clinical setting and also for patients to be able to use their own smartphones for that matter to be able to use it. But what I think is missing quite a bit is a conversation between physical therapists and software developers and engineers. I think that is something that there's a lot of potential for engagement between these two disciplines where there's cross-collaboration where physical therapists can explain and bring forth ideas of how we can promote movement using virtual reality and what are the requirements or what are the sort of um, construct, if you like, for having such a platform. And then potentially the engineers and the developers can develop something like that. I think if there's anything that should happen, I think, in the near future is that kind of en uh, engagement between clinicians, physical therapists, and uh, the engineering uh, sort of community. And I also think that we need more studies, like I said, that are well controlled, that look at the dosage of how much of virtual reality is good. Because one of the things that we also have to understand is not everybody would be suited for virtual reality. There are individuals who may experience motion sickness. So things like that we have to be cognizant of. So this is not like a, well, let's use it for everybody. We have to assess, we have to evaluate. And so there's a lot of studies that's needed to see who is this appropriate for? Which kind of population will benefit the most? So if there are going to be studies, my uh, recommendation, I think, for both clinicians as well as patients is to think about how or what types of patients would benefit. So those are studies we have to be doing where they are very controlled, and we can also look at um, certain conditions. For example, like in my lab, we're looking at Parkinson's disease. So if it's going to benefit individuals with Parkinson's disease, is it going to benefit people at the early stage or at the later stage? So these are sort of the questions, and I think these are sort of the opportunities that are waiting to be exploited, uh, in my opinion. So sort of to summarize, uh, a lot of promise here, but probably not something people should expect to be incredibly widespread anytime uh, in the immediate future. Correct. Yes, that, that's what I would agree with. So it's out there, but I think there's still a lot more work needed before it gets to mainstream clinic and being used uh, by clinicians um, everywhere. Yes. Thank you so much for speaking with us today on Move Forward Radio. We've appreciated it. Eric, thank you very much for this opportunity, and I hope uh, this information will reach a number of patients and consumers. And uh, it's all about how, as physical therapists, we can make this information available. So thank you for giving us a platform to do that. You've been listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or find previous episodes at moveforwardpt.com. Move Forward Radio is brought to you by moveforwardpt.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Find a physical therapist near you at moveforwardpt.com.